0: I did not. Uh, today is um, the 5th of April, 2008, and we're looking at Matthew Part 3, Lesson Chapter 2, which is a focus on, I believe, Chapter 21. Let's open in prayer. My Father, we do thank you that the King has come, and we thank you that he has uh, declared his kingship, and that we have been uh, told uh, how it is that we can be His subjects and His disciples. Father, we thank You also that He is coming again. And we look forward to that day. We look forward to the day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we pray that You might bless us this morning as we open Your Word. Give us a glimpse of Your heart and Your desire to fellowship with us, we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Uh, Well, last week we looked a little bit at this concept of called and chosen. We looked at some of these vineyard parables. We have a couple, uh, we have a couple parables this week uh, looking again at this concept of vineyard. Uh, these are cast across two different chapters so we do have to bring them together. But in the middle we have this discussion of what takes place uh, at the, uh, just prior to the beginning of this last Passover that Yeshua celebrated uh, while He was here. Uh, from Isaiah chapter 56, verse 6 through 8. Also, the sons of a foreigner. And if you follow this word foreigner, it is not the same word. It's not goy. It's not, uh, it's not um, dare. It is actually a word that's first used in, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 43. Um, and I would simply say, follow up with Ephesians chapter 2. It actually means a stranger. Uh, someone not, not a part of you. Not familiar with you. "...also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve Him and to love the name of the Lord, to be His servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast My covenant, even them I will bring to My holy mountain, and I will make them joyful in My house of prayer." their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house this is a very famous line you probably recognize this you probably don't recognize or you may not recognize the verses that lead up to it for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations and it actually doesn't say it's not going in there it's actually nations as in uh, peoples peoples amin all nations, the Lord God, and that is actually a covenant reference. It's actually uh, a a, uh, a repeated one there, uh, where it says where it has His holy name, and then God following, uh, Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, says, "Yet I will gather to Him others besides those who are gathered to Him." This is a prophetic passage, and you know, a lot of places you go, and I don't know if you've seen this before, you can go into cathedrals. Sometimes they, on especially more modern cathedrals of the last couple centuries, they'll have sometimes, sometimes oftentimes, uh, uh, this quote from Isaiah chapter 56. Uh, ironically, they only put part of the quote up there. My house shall be called the house of prayer. Um, if you did your homework, you know that there's no place on earth that can claim this except one place. And it's no longer a place in the sense that there being a building there, other than an abomination. But there's no there's no building there that God would claim as a house of prayer. It's what makes the Kotel, the Western Wall, so holy to us, is because it is the remnant of what was there and what will be built there. But the point here is that no other place can call itself, can claim this verse. Certainly, no building, this building, any building, can call, call itself. Oh, that's what God was speaking of. My house shall be called a house of prayer.
1: We're
0: going to look at this a little bit today. I think it's, uh, I think it's very uh, fitting for us as we examine the circumstances of the world around us, whether it be tomorrow or uh, hundreds of years from now, it certainly appears to be the world is headed for disaster. And uh, to know that we have this hope. It's here. This is, this is very satisfying for me and it's very comfort for, comforting for me to read these verses. Um, let's look at Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to read uh, some of this, what's called the triumphal entry. Putting it in historical context, again, if you did your homework and you, and you looked at this, it's remarkable how much you may know about these very important passages, these very important chapters of Matthew, and yet not know the significance or the historical setting or the religious and cultural setting that they were found in. Does that do anything for you if you learn that afterwards? Does it help you? You go, well, I thought I knew this. That's the way I am. You know, I, go, I thought I knew all about this. Has, has has new significance for me, and it actually does change some of what I have thought about these important things a perfect example is this what's called the triumphal entry let's read it now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and I wrote it up there so like you can't see this my little map here uh, Bethpage uh, Bethpage at the Mount of Olives way up at the top of the Mount of Olives it's a small town there's it's still something up there today uh, when they came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Yeshua sent his disciples, disciples saying, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. And this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion... Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt and a foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus, as Yeshua commanded them. They brought the donkey, the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And... And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, "This is Yeshua, prophet from Nazareth of Galilee." This sounds like, well, you know the story. Well, how great, you know, you know how it's usually cast, and we saw this in our homework. It's usually cast as, look, all Jerusalem accept him as king day one, but a week later they're re- ready to kill him,
1: yeah.
0: right? Yeah. What happened? This big switch. And in fact, this is not at all fair. It's not fair in any in any measure. All Jerusalem accepted Him as Messiah for a very significant reason. They understood what they were seeing. If you did not know what was going to happen days later, right? Palm Sunday. (laughs) If you didn't know what was going to happen just a few days later, how would you that day have seen this? And if you know the prophecies and you study the Tanakh and you know the customs associated with this day and with this event you would immediately be just like them that's not bad that's good this is not a this is not a old oh, you know good Jews day one and then bad Jews later on in the week this is this is something we need to understand why they responded in the way they responded and how that should be our response even today. Let's go back to this passage that we looked at in Zechariah chapter 9, or that it referenced. Uh, there are, I was telling Mike earlier, there are a whole lot of messianic songs in today's <laughs> passages here's one of them right away where's
2: Zechariah
0: it's in the back it's in the back that's right yeah, well I can tell somebody's got a stone Tanakh here Then, actually it's not in the back of a stone Tanakh it's in the middle there uh, <laughs> Zechariah chapter 9 right before Malachi uh, you know you know you know the song Roni Roni Bat zion"? that's what that's these verses Great, yeah, Roni, Roni, greatly rejoice. <laughs> but Zion, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. There's his name, Yeshua. Mm-hmm. Lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt and a foal of a donkey. Wow, cool stuff. I'll be keep reading because I got to go down to verse seventeen. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the sea, the river there, speaking of the Euphrates, to the end of, excuse me, to the end of the earth. Just as, just as for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today, I declare that I will restore double to you. This is the Passover season. And for us, we're entering the Passover season. How appropriate is it for us to think about this? What is he speaking about? He's going to redeem, to rescue. You to save. This is the this is the season of redemption. They're thinking, This is Passover. What a perfect time for Messiah to show up. For I have bent Judah, my bow, fitted the bow with Ephraim, and raised up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and made you like the sword of a mighty man. Then the Lord will be seen over them, and his arrow shall go will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will bow the uh, will blow the trumpet. That's you know, that's end of the end of the world stuff, right? <laughs> and go with the whirlwinds from the south. The Lord of hosts will defend them. They shall devour and subdue with slingstones, they shall drink and war as if with wine. They shall be filled with blood like basins, like the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save them in that day. As the flock of his people, for they shall be like the jewels of a crown, lifted like a banner over his head. For how great is its goodness, and how great is its beauty! Grain shall make the young men thrive, and new wine the young women. Wow! It didn't happen. Did it? but wait they see it happening what are you now put yourself then what are you thinking
1: this is it
0: it's the end of the world as we know it but there's some good stuff coming because Messiah is going to reign it's a new day it's a new day it's, it's a powerful picture what are they saying when, they, when he comes down what are they seeing? Hosanna no they're not seeing Hosanna it's Hosanna what are they saying? They're actually using a root for his own name, Yeshua. They're saying, "Save us now." Why? Because it's from the Hallel. Well, y- you guys, you guys know that we do this at Passover. So this is part of your this part of your experience. A lot of people reading this chapter don't know that. They think this is something people are just making up. <laughs> Seems like a good thing to say. Let's all say Hosanna.
1: <laughs>
0: all right. Well, let's look at it. Go to, go to Psalm chapter one, eighteen. In your Haggadah, if you have a Maksor, which is a, a, a prayer book designed for a festival, for instance, there's a Maksor for Passover, the Pesach Maksor has, has a long section of the Hallel, which is Psalm, uh, Psalms 118, uh, 113 through 118. Let's go to Psalm 118, mm-hmm. which is what they're actually saying. These are happy days, aren't they? Go to chapter, uh, chapter eight, uh, 118, verse 19. says, Open to me the gates of righteousness. Here's another Messianic song for you. Pichuli. I don't know if you've... Actually, we've seen seen a phrase from this song. Actually, this phrase in several songs here at at Hope of Israel. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them. This is actually the song or the psalm for... uh, This actually... uh, This is not the same psalm, but Psalm 124 also, also talks about opening the gates of righteousness, which is actually a psalm... Actually, it's Psalm 24, which is a psalm for the first day of the week. It's the psalm for the first day of the week, Sunday. And I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. There's his name again. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. What day is the day the Lord has made? I mean, you say that all the time. People say it. This is the day the Lord has made. Think about it. Whenever you say that phrase, understand what day is it speaking of. It's speaking from Psalm 118. It's the day of redemption.
2: Yeah, you know, that's a that's Christian
0: song. Of course. Well there's lots of these are these are these are good for all people who love the Lord, right? <laughs> but the connection here to the Passover is what's important. This is a connection to the Passover. The Passover is the season of redemption. This walking down this road from Beth Page, and it's there today. You walk through olive groves where the Garden of of Gethsemane is traditionally to be found. Across the Kidron Valley, there used to be a bridge going across it, going right into the uh, beautiful gate, or what some people call the Golden Gate, the beautiful gate, which is walled up now, but the beautiful gate right into the temple. It comes from where, at the top of the hill, was where the ashes of the Red Heifer were burned. That was the purpose for this road coming down from Bethpage. Its purpose was to carry the ashes of the Red Heifer in a ceremony whenever it was needed in a ceremony down from the top of the hill across the valley into the Temple Mount. So the purpose for that gate was actually a uh, it's, 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 it serves a ritual purpose. It serves a ritual purpose. They're coming down the hill they're singing the Great Hallel. This is this is Passover this is happy stuff and here he is he's riding on a foal of a donkey. How ironic. Maybe it's true. And that's why they're saying it. Son of David. Maybe it's true. Maybe he is the Messiah. You know and, and, and what do they expect to happen now? Is there a
1: connection between the narrow gate in Matthew 7 and the gate as reference to
0: I don't think so. This is actually a very broad gate. This is what was called the Nicanor Gate uh, back in the Second Temple period. Uh, it was actually a gift from, I think it's Persia, uh, built it. It's called the Beautiful Gate because it was beautiful. It was very ornate. Um, and it is, a, it is a significant gate. All the other gates, by the way, open the gates of righteousness open the gates of righteousness, Um, all of these gates around Jerusalem today, seven gates around the old city are, were rebuilt by uh, Suleiman the Magnificent in the 1500s. Uh, the walls were rebuilt. But they represent the gates that were below them. And In fact, the beautiful gate, the actual beautiful gate from the Second Temple is below the beautiful gate that you see in the wall today if you see pictures where people say, that's where Messiah is coming in. Of course, Muslims put graves all along there so he can't have to step across dead bodies. But he, they don't know that he doesn't care. Um, <laughs> there's worse, worse, actually worse, there's actually an abomination on that place that will be gone as well yeah thank God but anyway <laughs> so has, the key, has this prophecy been fulfilled? No. it's a prophecy now Matthew quotes these places why does Matthew quote these if this prophecy has not been fulfilled? Well, do you understand why it's very difficult for someone reading those prophecies to say oh yes Jesus he was the one it should be it should be. I'm not saying that we need to give in to that thought, but it, there, is, there is a difficulty. There's absolutely a difficulty because the prophecies have not been fulfilled. Claiming these prophecies have been fulfilled is dangerous. What we need to say is, and this is the danger of, of what people say, oh, everything that needed to be done was done. No, it hasn't been done because God hasn't finished what He started. And redemption has to be complete for us to say It's fulfilled. Your redemption personally may be complete, but the redemption is not complete. The final redemption is what we wait for. It's what everybody should be waiting for. Um, what happened to me personally is important to me personally, but until all Israel is saved, it is not done. It is not done. It is. It is all that is necessary. To accomplish has been accomplished. Well, the day that God s- spun the world into existence, spoke it into existence, it was accomplished in that sense. But he has to do it. He has to finish it. He started, he will finish it. Like I say, right. p- 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 this is open the gates of righteousness. These are the gates of righteousness. The gates around Jerusalem are called the gates of righteousness. Uh, go to, yeah, yes, ma'am. Are, are you
2: just... Am I totally
0: off the base to say they've been partially fulfilled? Yes. Yes, partially fulfilled.
1: Absolutely.
0: <coughs> that's, that's it's okay. That's it's okay. The the psalm for, for chap- uh, the psalm for uh, the first day of the week. It's not called Sunday in Hebrew. The first day of the week. The psalm for the first day of the week has been for thousands of years. Is Psalm 24, Psalm 24, verse seven. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. And be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Sillah. repeats it twice just in case you missed it. Lift up your heads. These gates, these gates long for their king. And if you had been there in the first century, you would have said, this is it. The king is here. This is exactly like we saw. Or if you were a skeptic, you'd go, come on, this is rigged. This is rigged to look like Zechariah chapter 9. Actually, you wouldn't have said chapter 9. You would have said (laughs) (laughs) Zechariah. this key, cornerstone the chief corner or the cornerstone is that now the chief cornerstone the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone this is part of that thing I've never kind of understood it's like how did they build it now okay, oh that's a good one let's bring it over here that's exactly the way you did cornerstones cornerstones usually are like a keystone it's the capstone and the capstone is to make an arch requires perfect angles and you kind of have to find the stones that have the angles as you're working through them and you cut them or whatever else. Well, the ones that you've set aside that don't match, that don't fit until you get to the end it has the greatest angle, the peak, right? You see them today in these, uh, our house has these keystones, right? It's the one with the biggest angle at the top of the arch. That's that same, that's that same idea. It's the capstone. It's the stone that, that didn't fit anywhere until you get to the top, and then it's the keystone; it's what holds it all together, right? This is that idea. It is literally cornerstone. Rosh pinah literally, literally means cornerstone. Rosh Pina is another. Uh, is another messianic song. We, we we borrow these from the Hebrew really well, I think. Um, uh, Rosh pinah is another is another uh, reference. This is a reference to David. That's Psalm one eighteen is a reference to David. David is actually talking about himself when he says the. The stone that the builders rejected had become the chief cornerstone. He was the last brother. Oh, you don't want him. You know, hey, bring all the older, better-looking brothers forward. David, he's scrawny. You know? Actually, he had a ruddy complexion. But other than that, you know, he's, he's, he's the little guy. He's the, he's the kid. You know, he's our kid brother. You know, Samuel says, no, bring him. And when he sees him, he knows immediately. God says, this is the one. Well, this is exactly this idea. So this reference to son of David that they're saying Hosanna son of David Hosanna they're, say, they're saying this is Messiah they get it they really do they're not they're not confused they understand completely this is Messiah what we're seeing is Zechariah chapter 9 what we're seeing is Psalm 118 that's why they make the connection this is Passover it's perfect timing right? Mm-hmm. It's a day of redemption. Absolutely. But what are they looking forward to on Passover? That's it, man. The king's the king's here. Let's set up the kingdom. That's right. Are his disciples thinking that too?
1: Sure.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yes, what was that?
2: Let's talk about verse eleven.
0: Of which chapter? Matthew
2: twenty-one.
0: Matthew twenty-one. Okay. Let me go to it real quick. Go to Matthew twenty-one, verse eleven. <coughs> he says uh, so the multitude said this is Yeshua the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee
2: it seemed to me when I did my work that that was sort of a confusing statement it was because the prophet was supposed to come from Beth, Bethlehem and he's been misidentified here Isaiah Galilee the Gentiles, uh-huh. the prophecy referring to that area right. Israel, so that's technically accurate in a way
0: oh yeah sure it is yeah <laughs> Well, that, there is a disconnect. And you see this through the Gospels. There is a disconnect. They're going, wait, he's from, he's from Galilee. He can't be Messiah. They, they do do that. Yeah, they absolutely do. But, and that may be a, there may be a little bit of an ironic statement yeah. there. We go, okay, here's Messiah. This is Messiah. Who is that? Who is this guy that everybody's calling Messiah? Well, that's, that's Yeshua. He's the prophet from, from Nazareth. They're going, okay, well, you know, doesn't seem to fit. Maybe, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, because he has to be from
1: Bethlehem. That's
0: right good yeah but there is but you're right Isaiah talks about Galilee the Gentiles and in fact his light is dawning from Galilee the Gentiles Uh, we can see in retrospect but understand there may have been confusion on their parts because of this yeah absolutely Uh, verse 11 through 16 they are openly declaring chapter 21 verse 11 through 16 they are openly declaring um, that he is Messiah so now what do the chief priests think Look at, starting in verse 12. Then Yeshua went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold those. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna or Hoshiannah," to the son of David, they were indignant. Why were they indignant? Well, first of all, the first thing that needs to be asked is what is, there, what is anybody doing in the temple with selling of things? It's absolutely forbidden. You can't have a tree because it might drop a leaf on the temple grounds <coughs> in, the, in the Mishkan, in the, in the tabernacle. But you have people selling things Unclean? I mean, talk about, talk about profane. I mean, this is absolutely forbidden and profane. What were the, well, why was it happening? Because the chief priests got a cut. They were, they were involved. This was a money-making endeavor for them. The corruption. And this is one of the things that you get in the Gospels. And if you read carefully, you can see this. And historically, we know this. The priesthood of the first century was corrupt. In fact... Uh, the idea that somehow God is against his very place that he's named his name is a, is a remnant of a theology that sees these chief priests and says everything having to do with whatever they had uh, been given as their authority was wrong. They had taken the authority and used it incorrectly, but the authority was valid. They were the priests.
2: What is the scripture that speaks of, you know, can good on the outside and doing correct
0: that's, right. that's right, that's right. This temple, Herod's temple, was, should be, and if it weren't for anti-Semitism in, in, in the assigning of historical things, it would be one of the eight wonders of the ancient world. It was absolutely unparalleled in its beauty. It was magnificent. And yet, inside was a religious system, a religious system that had been misused by people. And it was corrupt. Now, what does theology do? The whole thing was corrupt. Aren't we glad we don't have that anymore? That's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. Why is it wrong? Because what does Yeshua quote? He quotes from Isaiah chapter 56. And what does he say? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And he's not saying, I'm going to build a new church. He's talking about that place. That place. No other place. Go to Isaiah chapter 2.
1: Is reforming huh? Is that, is it, is it reforming He's
0: reforming. What's there? That's absolutely correct.
2: Yeah. I want to say, While we're turning, excuse me. In my study Bible that I use because it is New King James, uh-huh. the on, there is a footnote that says. God condemned the Jews, and that's why we have the church. That's right. that. Of course. I'm telling you.
0: I'm... We're going to read this whole passage here in Isaiah chapter 56, but go to chapter two first. Now, it "Shall come to pass," chapter two of Isaiah, verse two. Now, it "Shall come to pass" in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house, that is called—I mean, it's—it's it's called the Temple Mount today, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the mountain of the house, shall be established on the top of the mountains, It shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, and we will walk in His paths. Out of Zion shall go forth the law, the Torah, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. There is no place else On earth, that can claim to be the place of the house of God. So, this this idea that he's going to have a new spiritual house well, we are a spiritual house, that's true. Uh, Judaism has always said that too. There's nothing new there. But the idea that we, that that is what is being meant here is absolutely false. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Go to. Uh, it, uh, by the way, it's very interesting. Just as a side note, he heals the sick and the lame. They come to him, and he heals the sick and the lame. The lame are not allowed in the, allowed in the temple grounds. the law forbids the Torah forbids anyone that's lame to come into the temple grounds that's why it's so significant that the lame are sitting at the gates in fact John and Peter after the resurrection are going through this very gate the beautiful gate where they find a lame man and they say silver and gold Peter says silver and gold have I none but and he heals him and he follows him into the temple this is significant these people who are lame who have no access to the presence of God the physical presence of God now have access they're healed they're no longer lame this is significant Yeshua is healing these people and they're going with him in there that's pretty neat I mean to me that's just awesome in, in, uh, Yeshua cleanses the temple he, he turns over the tables and we see this as a boy it's an overturning of Judaism this is Christianity has done this this is what they've done it is a metaphor see he's overturned turned Judaism and now we have this new religion Christianity when in fact exactly as somebody said it, that's left that actually said this no it was reforming what was already there it was a taking away from the corrupt who were misusing it and actually saying this is the way that it should be And the quoting, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, has to be done in context. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 56. We read this at the beginning. What is the importance of taking it in context? Because if you take it in context, it completely destroys the metaphor, the picture. Judaism is overturned, Christianity wins. Right? When I say Christianity, I'm not speaking of Christianity as, as we may understand Christianity but rather historical Christianity that basically says no there's an old religion the religion of the Jews God started a new religion uh, with the apostles and, and boy I'm we glad we don't have that old religion anymore that's the historical reference I'm speaking of so when we see this in Isaiah chapter 56 you, you can read immediately that that is absolutely a false view of what that verse means starting in verse 56 uh, chapter 56 verse 7 Actually, go up, because I have to do verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Keep justice, do righteousness. For my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. Mm-hmm. Blessed is the man who does this, and the, Ma- and the Son of Man who lays hold of it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath, and keeps his hands, hand from doing any evil. Uh, Sabbath is always the seventh day. Yeah, you may not like it. Other people may not like it, but it is.
1: Too bad. Too yeah. bad. It is. is
0: A decree of Constantine can't move it to Sunday.
1: Exactly.
0: Do not, let the, uh, do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Don't, don't let any son of the foreigner who has attached himself to the Lord, say, the Lord has separated me from his people. Ephesians chapter 2. This is what we're being told. You used to be. You Gentiles. Formal Gentiles. You used to be separated from the covenants of God. You used to be separated from the commonwealth of Israel. Now you have been joined to him. This is what he's speaking of. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. But thus says the Lord. Listen, the eunuch is not allowed in the temple grounds either. It's no fault of his, but he's not allowed either. The lame person, no fault of theirs, but they're not allowed in the temple grounds. Listen. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name. Better than the sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name. They shall not be cut off. They're not going to be eunuchs anymore. They're going to be fruitful. Also the sons of the foreigner who have joined themselves to the Lord to serve Him and to love the name of the Lord to be His servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath. There we go again. This can't make this Christianity overturns Judaism nonsense here. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Joyful in His house of prayer people who do not look to that place and long for His house to be built there are mistaken. It's supposed to be something we look forward to. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers, again I'll tell you that when it's, in English it says Lord God, but in Hebrew what it says is it has the word Adonai, which is actually the word Lord. And then it has God's four letter holy name. This is a covenant name that God uses to emphasize I keep my word to Israel. It's the word that is used multiple times in First Samuel chapter 7 where God promises to build David a house, a messianic a, messianic, uh, a line of Messiah, a messianic house, a messianic uh, line of kings. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. What was the goal of God in calling Israel to be his chosen people? God had a purpose. Why? Why did he do that? Because they were better looking, as Sam
1: says.
0: (laughs) Was it because we were smarter? Why did he call Israel to be his chosen people? Were they a big people? They're small people. Why? They were the least. Why? Because he wanted to declare, as Paul says, his might through weakness. His wisdom through what appears to be silliness. To the small, he wants to declare big. It starts small, the prophecy from Je- Daniel. The mountain, the rock is, is small, starts small, and yet it grows into a great mountain and, c- and contains the whole earth. What is this? What is Israel's goal? What is Israel's role? Israel's role is to be a light to the nations. To draw all peoples to him. They are the priests, the kingdom of priests. They are the ones to stand in the middle, to join the nations to God. Did Israel fulfill her role?
1: No,
0: Not yet. Well, I believe one day they will. And that day, eight men, excuse me, ten men will grab the, the, the seat of one Jew. That's right. That is, you know, here's, here's what's going to happen. What's going to happen is Israel. Israel is going to fulfill her role. And so when we talk about all nations, obviously there's a lot of Jewish people don't like this idea, you know. This is a debate in the first century. Gentiles. I mean, come on, <laughs> you know, they're unclean. We don't know where, been. <laughs> we do know where they've been. Yeah, that's right. We do know where they've been. That's exactly right. We do know where they've been. So that early disciples had this very thing that they were they were struggling against. Gentiles. Ah, uh, how do we deal with this? Don't say what's, what I have declared to be clean, to be. Unclean. That's what God told Peter in Acts chapter 10. So, Gentiles are supposed to be included. Oh, man. We, we, like you say, we know where they've been. They're idol worshippers. Not anymore. he used to be idol worshippers. It's, it's a worthy debate. It is a worthy debate. Maybe incorrect, but it was a worthy debate. How do you let Gentiles in? How do you let the foreigners in? How are they joined? How do you let them... In? You know, they were in the Temple Mount in the first century. They're in this Temple Mount. But in the middle of the Temple Mount there's this short wall about four feet tall. No Gentiles were allowed across that. So they had an offering. They wanted to come into the presence of God. They had an offering. What they had to do is they had to give it to somebody. Go and offer that for me. Right? Because they wanted to worship God. They really honestly did. Gentiles were coming in droves. The court of the Gentiles was monstrous. It would fill up during, during festival time. Gentiles... By the tons were entering Jerusalem to celebrate the festivals. They weren't allowed to go all the way into the inner inner part of the temple. They weren't allowed. And it's like I say, there's a there's something to be said there. How do you know these are good Gentiles that have really repented from idolatry, or are they coming to offer an offering to the Lord? You know, wink and nod when it's really to their own private gods.
2: Well, first of all. The Jews were guilty of following pagans into worshiping.
0: That's Um, true. And the pagans, that's right. really
2: can't throw. That's
0: true. Although, remember, in the second
2: sentence. I have to make this right specifically. It (laughs) (laughs) may to me why there are so many New Testament churches because it would be very difficult That's right. to hold on to what you believe That's right. if you educate yourself That's true. of all the prophecies
0: and all the words that are
2: back there in that Old Testament that I agree. holds and doesn't belong in. I
0: agree. We need to be careful how we educate people. We need to be gracious towards them. But you're right. Absolutely. It's very difficult to stand and say, we're a New Testament church when you don't even know... <laughs> The basis by
1: which—that's that. right. You're that.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's this this idea that, that Gentiles are supposed to be somehow participating, and it being a sign of the Messianic age is is something that Yeshua is alluding to here. He is the idea that he says he's drawing from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter fifty-six. He's not just saying this metaphoric house of God will be a place for all nations but he's talking about the very place that he goes into that's been corrupted by the priesthood how did they corrupt it and then he tells a parable he tells two parables he tells the parable of the vineyard and the two sons in fact the last week these two kind of go together though the vineyard parables okay? so the, the couplet, there are two together but they're separated by this idea of the king coming into, into the city uh, it's parable of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, uh, of the vineyards. The vineyard parables always have to be overlaid against Isaiah chapter 5. Uh, and the parables are trying to make a point. How many points are the parables trying to make? A couple maybe, but no more than that. Is it a metaphor? Is it a, is it a giant spiritualization of, of uh, what's going on? No, he's trying to make a point. What's the point he's trying to make? This is Matthew chapter 21, verse... The parable of two sons, verse 28. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Go, work today in my vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards he regretted it and went. And then he sent his second son and said likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two will... He, will uh, which of the two did the will of his father? Um, excuse me, there are two parables. He has this one about the sons first. And it is kind of about the vineyard. As assuredly I say to you, tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Who, do you really, who really repents? The one that says, I ain't doing that, but then does it? Or the one that says, I am doing that, but then doesn't? The one that says, I'm not going to obey you, but then obeys? What is real obedience? Is it saying something or doing something? This is the Bible, y'all. The Bible teaches this concept over and over again. It is not what we say that we believe. It is what we do. You can say the right thing and do something wrong. Saying the right thing doesn't count for squat. That's what he's saying. Doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything. What matters is what you do. How did you behave? And then, and then he goes on in, in verse 33. Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted the vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press, and built a tower. He leased it to vine dressers and went in a far country. Now the vintage times drew near. He sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive his fruit. And the vine dressers took his servant, beat one, killed another, and stoned another. And he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to him. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, "They will respect my son." But when the vine dressers Saw the sun, they said. To, they said among themselves, "This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance." So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? What's the parable? What's the point? He's just cleansed the temple, right? That's his point. Who are the the vine or the vineyard? Is Israel? Who are the vine dressers? Who are those first vine dressers? Well, Well, no, those are are the ones that are currently the vine dressers. They're the people that are the chief authorities of the temple right now. Who came to them and told them, knock it off, all the way through the prophets? The prophets did. The prophets said, stop it. You're polluting the very place. In Ezekiel, we see the presence of God leave out of the temple. Why? Because they kept polluting it with idolatry. Well, they're not involved in idolatry here in the first century, but it's just as bad. They're selling things yeah. in the temple. They're keeping people out. I'm not talking about the lame, that's commanded. But they're keeping people out that want in. They're actually buying. Their, their, their have a, I mean, they're, these people were the richest there were, the chief priests. These were wealthy people. That's backwards. The Levites. And the, and, the, uh, and the sons of Aaron had no inheritance other than what was given to them, not taken from the people. So we see this idea that, that these people are the wicked vine dressers. Now, here's the way the parable is usually played Judaism, those are the old guys. New vine dressers, you know, his son comes, he's going to take the vineyard away. How can you take Israel away from Israel? It's not. It's taking it away from those people who had misused what God gave. And who are these new, who are these new uh, vine dressers? They're the new authorities. They're, they're Yeshua's own disciples. Himself. This idea that, that the temple had been polluted. Uh, again, the first century, what would you have seen when you saw this? You'd say, this is it. He's cleaning up the mess. We all know it's a mess. He's cleaning up the mess. He's, he's going to throw the priests out next. Right? he's going to take over. I mean, we're going to see Rome destroyed. We're going to see all the nations coming here. Well, we see it now, but we're going to see it all happen. This is it. The king is here. Uh, unfortunately, what we've done is because of these small twists, our theology, and the theology of many, has been affected in such a way as they see this as a contest where there is no contest between Judaism And Christianity not understanding that the religion of the Bible is unchanged. Call it whatever you want. There's no contest, law and grace. It's all from God and it's all good. It's men that corrupt things. And what men do is they say one thing and do another. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. The personal application is and that parable means this parable of the wicked son and the good son. Which are you going to be? The one who comes late and yet obeys God? The one who says, no, no, I won't, but then does it? Or are you going to be the one that says, oh, yes, I'm, I'm on your side, but then doesn't ever obey him? The second son. That's the one we want to be like. The one who agrees to obey, and then, excuse me, the one who, the, the, one who, the first son, the one who doesn't agree to obey, and yet does. It's what we do. Uh, I have this last thing here on our outline, Baruch Habah, Beshem, uh, Hashem. Uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord this is what we get this from is from Zechariah chapter 9 and the idea that one day as he came down that long road from the top of the Mount of Olives into the Temple Mount where people were saying uh, Hoshiana that we will one day understand that when he comes back and he says and he says this later on we're going to read this in Matthew says I will return and actually he's quoting from Hosea I will return to my place but when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, then, then it's time. And, and then we see the fulfillment of these prophecies. Yes? Um, even, anyway, I'm just
2: confused. So if I could ask you, um, verse 14. Um, of Matthew? Yes.
0: Matthew 21, verse 14. Yes, ma'am. And
2: the blind and the lame came to him in the temple,
1: and he healed them.
0: I would not say it's in the temple. It, it would most it, it would be impossible for them to be in the temple. They couldn't come into the temple. When you talk about the temple, it's probably talking about the temple grounds. In other words, they weren't actually in it when he healed them, but at the temple, they were at the temple. I think that would probably be more accurate to say at the temple. But did they follow him into the temple? I, I can't imagine they wouldn't have. After that, yeah. So, God commanded that no blind or lame people could actually enter. But how
2: about on, the one when it said on the Sabbath and he, and he healed someone
1: on the Sabbath? And they don't
0: to heal. No, it doesn't say you can't heal on Sabbath. That's right. Oh. Yes. And actually, it's a debate. It's a, it's, it's actually that's a. Oh, we're talking long debate here on whether you can heal on Sabbath. But yes, it is possible to heal on Sabbath. Yes.
2: Rick, you mentioned that the temple priests got corrupt and they were too rich. They were taking from the people more than what they should. Right. Is that what Malachi is really referring?
1: Absolutely. To?
2: In context
1: that it was the priests that are robbed
0: That's right. the people. Absolutely. If you follow the whole context of Malachi, that. the whole context of Malachi it's the it's the it's the priests that were corrupt. The people then were cynical and would not bring and would not give what God had told them to give. Both groups are guilty.
1: Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I mean, you know, we started thinking about this stuff. You know, hopefully, hopefully we get a new appreciation for what God commanded versus what man does. You know, man corrupts. We need to understand God's commands are never bad, never wrong. Let's to- close in prayer. Father, we do thank you that you have given us your word. We look forward to the return of the King. Father, we thank you that we today can say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we know, that, in fact, that Yeshua, our Master, is Messiah, King Messiah, and that his return is... is Uh, soon in our days is what we long for and pray for
1: and we pray this in Yeshua's name Amen